This is the August 2020 bonus episode of the Master of None podcast, and today we have an actual in-studio guest, which is always fun. Uh, It's great to get other people involved in the podcast, hear about their projects, their hobbies, all of that, and it's even better when we don't have to do it over the phone and we can have somebody live in the studio. Way more fun to do it in person. So our guest today is my brother-in-law, Courtney's brother. All of you know Courtney from the episodes that she's been on, Andrew Bush, and he's joining us from Arvada, Colorado, which is in the greater Denver metro area place in Colorado where pretty much everybody who lives in Colorado lives, right? So he's up here joining us for the weekend and decided to hop on and record a bonus episode of the podcast. So Drew, say hello. Hey guys, it's good to be with you. And you probably, if plans go as planned, um, Drew joined us a couple weeks ago on an episode that we actually have not recorded yet. So there's this weird like future past thing that we'll try to not mess up. (laughs) So let's go ahead and jump into the bonus episode items. As everyone knows, if you've been listening to the podcast for any time, on each bonus episode, which we do every month, we have three items. We have a pro tip, a book recommendation, and a challenge, right? I was going to remind you, but <laughs> he's going to help it. me out you there. <laughs> so I, I almost forget every time. I'm like, and I know there's something else. Um, so when we have a guest for a bonus episode, our guest gets to provide all three of those things to me and you, the listeners. So if you would like to do them in that order, that's usually the order that I go in. If you'd prefer to do a different order, we could do that too. So do you want to just stick with standard order? Yeah, man. Let's just jump right in. Let's do it. Okay. So hit me with a pro tip. All right. So my pro tip, um, I paint uh, with small brushes. I mean, I also, you know, like everyone, other adult in the US, I also paint my house too, but like the walls and such. But so- With small brushes? uh, Tiny, tiny tiny brushes. Yeah. So- It takes a while. um, So when I'm doing art with my small brushes- uh, my pro tip would be to treat it like actual hair. So just like when you wash your, like, well, I'm bald now, so like whatever. But when I had hair, I had long, luxurious hair. And, he did. Um, I've, I've seen <clears throat> the pictures. And when, when you would wash it, if you don't use conditioner, it can get dry and brittle. And the same thing happens to your paintbrushes. So I have paintbrushes that I have used for almost 20 years now. Natural hair paintbrushes. And... By uh, washing them thoroughly, uh, like immediately after each use, and then uh, using either like hand lotion or conditioner, I can I reform the brush to its original shape, and then that lotion also remoisturizes the hairs on the brush. Now, when you're talking about natural hair brushes, what what's the source of that hair, or could it be different things for different stiffnesses? Maybe like what what kind of actual natural hair? Is that that they use on those brushes? It used to be all horsehair. Okay. I don't. I don't know the actual source now. Uh, they don't actually say it on the on the brushes, hmm. and I'm not high end enough where I need a certain animal. Um, but let let's say so. I have gone acrylic as opposed to oil painting, and dolphin. so we're gonna go with some dolphin hair. It's it's very rare <laughs> and very small. Each dolphin only has one hair. You have to. I'm making that up. I'm sorry. So. Even if you're using synthetic brushes, um, using lotion on the synthetic brushes is still super helpful. Uh, it doesn't 
it doesn't necessarily rejuvenate the plastic. Mm-hmm. It, it is somewhat helpful in terms of the, the wear and tear of uh, the chemicals on the plastic. Mm-hmm. But mostly what it does is it helps reshape the brush. Okay. To just kind of hold those bristles <clears throat> in place as it dries or whatever. So that so I'm getting like that that natural new brush shape, whether that's like a like a point or a wedge or a chisel or or whatever, just to get it back into that shape. Right. So you're basically reshaping okay. your brush after each mm-hmm. use because it starts to splay out. I mean, right. like, like sure. all brushes get like all crazy looking. Mm-hmm. And so after each use, if you're reforming it okay. and the lotion actually holds itself together, this also works with large paintbrushes. So mm-hmm. I have like two inch paintbrushes that I use for painting my walls. And I also use lotion on those to reform them. Okay. And you mentioned it could be like either hand lotion or hair conditioner would be fine. Which are basically the same thing, right. just different packaging. And you can pretty much swap back and forth. I mostly use hand lotion because that's the one laying around. Okay. But mm-hmm. although going to my bathroom upstairs to like go to my shower to find it, whatever. I just use hand lotion. But Nice. Cool. Um, any, anything else on, on those brushes? So maybe, maybe somebody is like just thinking about getting into art, some painting. They've watched... They've binge watched Bob Ross on Netflix and now they're like, I could do that, which Bob Ross is a great way to convince yourself that you can paint. Absolutely. There are no mistakes, right? Just happy just accidents, happy accidents yeah. and happy trees. <laughs> so, <coughs> um, me. so maybe they're like, okay, what kind of, what do I need as far as brushes to get started? Because I can look at Bob Ross's studio and he has, it's pretty simple, but still, if I started to like add up all of the different brushes that he uses and all of that, what would be your your recommendation if I don't want to have to spend a fortune to get started painting? Is there like a particular set of brushes I should get? Or maybe I go to an art supply or hobby supply store. What should I be looking for? Just because I, I walk in there and I really don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, I would start cheap. Okay. Um, so I, I have purchased multiple brush sets over the years. Um, and had multiple well-meaning people buy me brush sets to try and encourage my, my art career. Mm-hmm. It turns out I really only use four or five brushes maybe. And so I don't really use all of them, but I didn't know that when I first started painting mm-hmm. that I don't need all of them. Okay. And so you can buy a cheap brush set for $10 at a local art supply place or a hobby place. And I would start there. Mm-hmm. I would start as cheap as you can go. And then you get a feel for what it is you like. Sure. And are those cheaper brushes, are those going to tend to be natural hair? Or those are going to be synthetic. synthetic. Okay. Yeah. So the natural hair ones do you'll, tend to be more expensive. You'll double and triple your price okay. for a good natural this hair is brush. Good to know. So let's let's say, I don't even know what we're looking at for price, but let's say that I have $20 to spend on brushes. I would be better off buying a set of four or five brushes for that $20 maybe because that's those are the ones I'm probably going to use versus the $20 set that has 30 different brushes in it and would obviously be much lower quality. That's how I would spend the money. Cause I'm probably only going to use four or five out of that set of 30 anyway. Right. Okay. That totally makes sense. If that's, you know, if that's how much I'm going to spend on, on my brushes. Now, does it matter what kind of brush I'm going to use based on what kind of paint I'm going to use? Like, I don't want to like not knowing much about this. I, I know that there are watercolors and acrylics and oil paints and all this different stuff. Right. I don't want to like dip a synthetic brush into an oil paint and have it like dissolve. And then my professional painter friends are like, Oh, I can't believe you didn't know that. Everybody knows that you don't, you 
use this with that. Are there any cautions that I should have about mixing and matching? It or- used to be. Okay. Yeah, totally, right? So it used to be that synthetic brushes were not good with oil paints. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the late nineties when synthetic- that was pure luck that I got yeah. that right as an example. <laughs> yeah. So back in the late nineties, synthetic brushes weren't excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that's why in the late nineties I was buying natural hair brushes, sure. um, for my art classes and they're still happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've had to re-glue some of the metal on the wood, but the, the bristles themselves are fine. Okay. Nowadays they have really, I mean, just like it used to be. You, you didn't really have high heat plastic spatulas, right? right? Like all, pl- all plastic spatulas melted. Mm-hmm. Now, now we have silicone. Which is like, a, like it's amazing with it, right? And, and a couple episodes of the podcast, we've gone like in depth on silicone and why it's so amazing and what it actually is and all of that. So the same so, thing yeah, is happening, totally. ha- happens with synthetic right. brushes. They've come yeah. a long way. Um, so there, there are some that you may not even be able to tell it's synthetic. Okay. They even dye it to look like a natural hair and it, it looks great. But if you just if you're just not getting into it, on the top of the packaging, it will say watercolors or acrylic and oil. Oh, like on the brush set. On the brush set. Oh, okay. Because I would also imagine that even like the diameter of the bristle that I want to be able to hold the paint could even be different between watercolors and acrylics or something like that. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. <laughs> that that's probably going pretty deep for a pro tip, right? Like, yeah, there's there's all sorts of ways we can go into it. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm thinking like, you know, different grits of sandpaper and stuff like that are just better suited to certain projects. But you buy a kit to do a project and it comes with sandpaper, they're going to give you the sandpaper that's going to work best. Right. Yeah. So kind of the same thing. So if I want to do watercolors versus oil versus acrylic. Um, So final question on the painting stuff before we move on Mm -hmm. to your book recommendation. Um, In your opinion... Of, of those three, let's say, or maybe there's another medium that I'm less familiar with uh, between watercolors, acrylics, and oil paints. What's going to be the best one for a beginner to start, like me? I would say acrylic by far. Okay. Um, and what, what would be the advantages and disadvantages there? Okay, so with acrylic, it's nice because it's water-based. You're basically pl- painting with plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but the... Um, the medium that's used to transport the pigment is water-based. And as soon as it dries, it basically becomes like indestructible plastic. Right. Um, so there's no turpentine used. Uh, you don't need paint thinner like you do with oil paints. Mm-hmm. And also the pigments themselves tend to be not caustic. Whereas with oil paints, like if you're using cadmium red, that's cadmium it metal. Actually that's, has cadmium. Yeah. In it. Right. So like, you don't want to go inside and have a smoke if you've got cadmium paint on your hands, right? Like it's just nope. not a, it's just not, not something you want against your face. Um, to the to the point that in the in the in the olden times, um, they used to have like they used to gesso their canvases and whatnot to actually protect the support of the of the painting mm-hmm. like, from the actual paint. Oh wow! Okay, it's because the paint the paints themselves would actually damage the, the supports. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, my so oil paint, mm-hmm. um, it's much more workable than acrylics. I mean, it's going to stay wet for three days. Right, because my understanding is with, with acrylics, the paint drying, so to speak, is basically just based on the evaporation of water Correct. out of that paint. Correct. As opposed to an oil paint where it's based on the oxidation of the oils as opposed to something evaporating. So many people are much better painters in oils. Okay. 
you can get much more subtle things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, acrylics are way easier to clean up. If you have small children, I would never use oil paints. And then watercolors. The cleanup is a great point, actually, yeah. especially for a beginner, because I honestly, I don't want to spend a bunch of time and frustration on my cleanup. I just, I just want to paint. Yeah. And the watercolors, I find watercolors frustrating because I'm, I find it almost impossible to fix my mistakes in watercolors. I can see that. With acrylic, there's an opacity to the paint where I can just cover something up again. If I'm like, ah, it didn't work out or it didn't, I could just like go over it. Mm-hmm. And with watercolor, it's on the, it's on the paper. Hmm. And yeah. so watercolor, master watercolor painters, like every stroke matters to them. Right. And for me, every stroke doesn't matter. Right. No, I could totally see that because they, I guess they're more, more transparent too. Mm-hmm. Um, so question for you about watercolors. Uh, so I think the last time that I painted with watercolors, I was probably like six and it was one of the Crayola watercolor sets. Oh man, I'm, I'm not good enough with watercolors. Like I have not since I have not painted with watercolors since undergrad. Okay. So, so well, yeah. basically, and it comes with a little, like the six little containers that are linked together and yeah, you have totally. a brush and you paint like in a Mickey Mouse coloring book, mm-hmm. basically. Is that true watercolor? Like, is that the same substance or? Oh, I, I don't know. You don't? Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I have, I have right. left that medium behind. I can, I can totally imagine how frustrating it could be to paint with watercolors or how difficult and, you know, I know you can get different effects with watercolors than you get with other paints. But Now, now what I can yeah. tell you is that with, let's say, acrylics and oils, mm-hmm. there are two basic levels of paints. It's a student, a student grade and a professional grade paint. And okay. it really has to do with how much pigment is in the paint. Huh. Okay. So if you're trying to use like, let's say one of the $15 sets that you get at um, your local hobby place mm-hmm. right they said like all those little tubes right all together one thing uh those paints aren't very opaque at all okay and so if you're trying to actually cover things with those paints it's gonna be a very frustrating experience hmm. whereas if you pay 12 dollars for like a four or five ounce tube it seems super expensive but you use so much less paint in terms of covering interesting all right, we're going way off topic. Yeah, though. no, that's okay. That's that's all right. I'm, I'm fascinated by some of this. And we're going to get more into painting on the other episode that we're going to record that everybody's already listened to. All right, so sounds good. It's like, it's like they know more than we do right now. They probably do. <laughs> okay, um, book recommendation. Yeah, so book recommendation is Dune by Frank Herbert. It was written, I don't even know the exact date, but it was written in the early 60s. And I just reread it this summer for probably the fourth time. And I am struck as an adult how, I guess, how deep the book is. Um, coming to it as an adult, I'm I'm recognizing all sorts of things that I didn't as a kid. Um, there's, the, there's the basic stuff that you get as a kid. Like, it's got a cool plot, cool storyline, people rising up against their oppressors. You get this... Uh, this very familiar feel of like, I think I've seen this before. And you're like, oh, wait, George Lucas and Star Wars. George Lucas lifted some of this Which imagery. Post Dune, right? Yeah, post Dune. That's <clears throat> yet another reason for me to not like Star Wars. Yeah, whatever. So it's, it's, thank you for giving more, me more ammo. You're to welcome. Dislike Star Wars. <laughs> but I, I think what I was struck by the most this last time is um, how when, when he's, when Frank Herbert is is putting his politics into uh, into the book. 
there's this group of people that are being oppressed by uh, by the empire, by different different houses of the empire, and the people that are being oppressed are called the freemen, F R E M A N, and they live on a planet called Arrakis, um, and they have this thing that is being uh, being mined on their on their desert planet called Spice, and Spice is used basically for navigation between solar systems it gives people some sort of prescience that they're able to like see far enough ahead in the future that they avoid stars and whatever basically they're like folding space time in order to like make this thing happen so starting to draw some conclusions here we have this this uh place called arrakis that's in the desert and there's some other imperial entity that is mining something from them that's that very is valuable necessary for travel. Is necessary for travel. Right. And I think at this point people are starting to see some some parallels. So Yeah. Go ahead. And so and, and then as I'm reading the book, I'm realizing that all of the um, all of the language and names for the for the people from the Empire are all very Western. Like Western European. And then all of the names and language from the Freeman are all in Arabic. Or, or at least very Arabic sounding, mm-hmm. and then, uh, I, and then I'm starting to be like, oh wait, there's there's a subtext that I'm not understanding, and so it it was it was after kind of exploring this thing of basically somehow Frank Herbert is taking um, Islam and Middle Eastern culture and is using them as um, as the protagonists in this story. It felt. It felt very strange for an American author to be doing that, right? Especially mm-hmm. in the early 60s. And so I'm like, well, what's happening? And then I did some research on it. And even though Frank Herbert never said it, there there is discussion that he is talking about uh, basically the creation of OPEC. That the Iraqi people basically rose up against their king and the Western companies that were mining their oil and the, the regular people saw none of the profits that they rose up and they took over their own oil manufacturing uh, to actually benefit the the regular everyday people in Iraq. And that Frank Herbert is possibly taking a side against American imperialism in that. Mm-hmm. So how would you, how would you apply that? Or I think I phrased it better when we were talking before, because we ended up having some conversations before we started recording. <clears throat> anyway, reading the book, are there some, of what you might consider predictions made in the book or lessons learned or applications in the book that you would say are still playing out today in in the modern Middle East, whether that's Iraq or somewhere else in the Middle East, between the people who live in those countries and the, quote, imperial powers, whether that's the uh, United States, Europe, Right, and yeah. we'll say modern times. We'll call it 1991 or later. so Gulf War or later. So when when I look at what, what is what is Frank Herbert saying, um, I, I think he used a very specific a very specific event to be able to talk much about a much larger human struggle that's happening um, against imperialism and like even. Even the savior figure in the book is still a Western imperial figure who is actually who's actually like exploiting these people as 
um, like to his own benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And it ends up helping the people, but it's also helping him like gain power. And so you, you end up you end up having this thing of like, and then these people actually become the oppressors later on in the story, right? And it's this wonderful narrative of are you, who is the protagonist? Who is good? What is right. good? I mean, do, do the ends justify the means? There, there's all sorts of this thing um, mm-hmm. where. As he begins to win, weave this narrative together, he's just calling a lot of questions. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think he gives answers. I think he's just asking a lot of questions. Okay. And well, I think, those are the best kind of books, as sure. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the most powerful things that a writer can do is to tell you a story, right? Where you take, you obviously take the side of the protagonist in this story that Absolutely. they're telling you, and it's not until the story is over that you realize that they were actually telling you a story about you with you actually acting as the antagonist. Right. Like, like this was a story, but in real life you're in the antagonist position and I've just made you realize what's actually going on. And you took the side of the protagonist in the story. Right. So yeah, super powerful when a good writer can do that. So, so there's a reason it's it's considered one of the best science sure. fiction books. Yeah, is he has some great what ifs, and he he creates this whole world and this this all encompassing thing. But he's talking about very real human issues, right? Yeah. So I I have not read Dune, um, but I think you've convinced convinced me to pick up a copy and read it. So cool. I am going to do that, and we can talk more about it after I have read it. Sounds good. <laughs> That'll be fun. Okay, so there we go. Pro tip book, and finally. Challenge for the listeners for the month. All right, my challenge is nothing near as intense as some of Isaac's challenges. <laughs> I just want to, just kind of want to say that uh, my challenge would be to play a board game this month. That either with friends, family, play a board game. And do you have some particular board games that are your favorites? Give me like. Yeah, totally. I mean, give, give me three different board games if you can. I think um, sure. for like different kind of different levels because like let's children. Face it, let's go board, children. Board games can get, can get pretty intense at the higher levels of board games. So let's start. Yeah, start with a kids board game, and then maybe like a non gamer adult level, and then like just take it up a notch for like your favorite like all out board game. All right. So uh, I played a board game with my kids last. Yeah, last week. And my kids are 11, 9, and 7. And the game is called Dragonwood. And my 7-year-old can play it just fine. Hmm. And it's it's got enough skill and um, chance involved mm-hmm. that everyone everyone can kind of enjoy themselves. Okay. So it, it's a game that an adult... It's not like Shoots and Ladders. Right. It's not Candyland. Okay. So Dragonwood. Excellent game. Uh, my current favorite game right now is a game called Splendor. That would be like a middle level game. We played. Did we? Did we play that one? Has I little gems did. that you yeah, collect along the way. That was pretty fun. Um, lots of chance. You can have great banter. There's definitely strategy involved, mm-hmm. and games don't last like an entire night. Right. Like it's yeah. it's like a sub one hour game. Mm-hmm. To where in an evening, you can play three games, right. and it's not like a. And you could explain the rules to me in like five minutes. Right. Like it's yeah. a very simple concept. The thing that I liked about that one is the concept is so simple. Like I said, you can explain the rules in less than five minutes, but the the strategy, the depth of strategy is infinite. Right. Right. Kind of like poker. It's nothing like poker. Same idea. 
it's S- simple rules. And I am horrible at poker. But yeah. <laughs> it is a game I can play while you drinking whiskey. That. And it's great. <laughs> um, poker. <laughs> if you were to go like one step up from that, like I'm not into like the it takes 30 minutes to set up the game type games. That's just too much for me. Um, He's talking about Dungeons and Dragons. He's. I'm going to leave that one alone. Like what I'm talking about. We're going to. We're not. We're not going to badmouth games currently. Uh, I'm not badmouthing it. I'm just saying it. Probably take. I don't. I have no idea how long it takes to set up. Actually, I think my third recommendation would be a a game called Dominion. Ooh. So it is a deck building game, and it's each card like tells you to do something different. But right. the original Dominion set, uh, it's been one of those games. I I've probably played now for. I want to say seven, eight years, and I still really enjoy it. And that's nice. that's saying something for a game that you can play it for seven, eight years, and it's still a great game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I've I've played. We have Dominion. I actually really enjoy that one. I'm not a huge game person, not nearly as much as your sister. Um, so we play a lot of games. I really do enjoy Dominion. And again, with that one, like it really only takes five minutes to explain the rules. Mm-hmm. It does. It takes less time than that to set up, and then the game can become very comp, <clears throat> very complex. Just because, like you're saying, you have these different cards, and each card has like its own rule set that's written on the card. So it's like I can't go through and explain all of the nuances of every card and how they, this one might interact with that one and all of that. You just have to figure that out once you draw kind of draw your hand of cards sure and you read through them so it's like it's it's different every time and and there are some like expansion sets available so like you're saying you've been playing it for years if you want to mix it up a little you can just add a few more like a little variety deck to your deck of cards and and it just adds some more variety to it i mean it's and here's the thing right my wife won't play chess with me so I, I I really enjoy chess, but I do too. Needs- but I also believe it's the worst game ever <laughs> because you, the, in any game, you're going to have a winner and a loser, right? I don't have to play chess. We don't actually, ha- we can take any two people and we don't actually have to play the game to determine who the winner and loser is. Right. I, yeah. I know that you are a better chess player than me, whether that's due to your, intelligence or just practice playing chess or whatever like i understand the rules of chess i can play but i am not a chess player like someone who actually plays chess is like way up here and i'm i'm like i know all of the moves i know the rules but that's about it and i can like each time that i sit down to the board i'm like that might work this might work and you're like oh this strategy has this name and so and so back in 1412 developed it during the battle of whatever, right? <laughs> and no one's figured out a way to best this strategy. But, if you can, <laughs> but but that's why chess right. isn't a good uh, isn't a good social game. True, right? Because if you're if you are better at me than chess, you will win one hundred percent of the time. Right. If you're better at me than Dominion, you will win sixty percent of the time. Correct. Right. Which makes it fun for everybody. Right. Yeah. So there you go. So give us a quick recap of okay. the pro tip, the book, and <clears throat> the challenge. All right, pro tip, use lotion on your brushes to reform them after you're done using them. So give them a good wash, dry them out slightly, and then put lotion on them, and then reshape your brush. I should ask real quick, how much lotion? Am I like dipping it in the lotion, or is it just like a tiny drop to work into the bristles? I'm using like a pea-sized amount. Okay. And then I'm going to wipe, like, I'm going to reshape the brush, and I'm going to wipe off any excess lotion. All right. And then... 
Um, the book was Dune by Frank mm-hmm. Herbert. And then my challenge is play a board game this month. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. That concludes the August 2020 bonus episode, and we will catch up with you next month. Bye.